welcome to Talking Force here uh, in the Hawkins Lab. Uh, I have a very special guest today. His name is Hewitt Tomlin. We've been friends for a while um, throughout our uh, professional careers, um, but also um, he is the founder of uh, Team Builder. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today, um, but I don't want it really to be just about reps and sets. I think it's an important story to hear um, for anyone who's out there at the tip of the spear looking to innovate to kind of hear what it's like to have that entrepreneurial spirit, but then how do you turn that into something that's both meaningful, impactful, uh, and then obviously too, because you got to pay bills, uh, profitable. So uh, this is more of a how-to journey building episode, and I think you all enjoy it. So without further ado, Hewitt, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on, and I'm looking forward to this topic because uh, the sets and reps are fun for me too, but uh, this is also a good chance to kind of reflect on you know, the journey of, uh, of a business. Yeah. Well, let's, you know, speaking of that, let's go back to the very beginnings. Um, and so uh, for people that don't know, uh, at one point I was working at Salve Regina University. It was a division three school um, in Newport, Rhode Island. And we had a coach. His name was Coach Bob Chesney. And where this becomes interesting is I think you have a connection with Coach Chesney as well, correct? Yeah, Coach Chesney was actually recruited me to go to you know, play college where I did at Johns Hopkins, and that's where he coached at the time. Chesney, you know, was a defensive coach, but he had my area or, or whatever, and uh, he was just like the coolest guy. You know, he he even would like made an appearance on a t like a reality TV show. Um, he was just smooth all the time. So it was uh, for me that, that was like slim pick, uh, easy pickings for him. He probably was like, yeah, I got this kid in the bag. <laughs> Well, it's funny is because he uh, he was the one who had spoken to us. And I know I forget the exact specific day, but I do know that it was, hey, you know, one of my former students has this new concept uh, that he's trying to do whatever. And, I, and, you know, I don't know if I think Tom Blaney might have reached out to you directly, um, but it was this first time that we had heard this this team builder, but they don't spell builder right. So we didn't understand what, what this was. And then we learned a little bit about you know, you know, what you were doing. And I think, you know, some of those humble beginnings, you weren't running multiple racks at a server farm in Menlo Park. You know, could you walk through just kind of that initial, you know, we talk about that inspirational moment or where you said, you know what, there's got to be a better way. And then, you know, how you got to maybe that point thinking, you know, 2010, 2011. Yeah, it's, it's, I was just recalling the story to, to someone uh, recently. So I have kind of like the, the fresh narrative on my mind. Um, for starters, my roommate and teammate uh, uh, is and was a really, really um, talented programmer, computer science programmer. And what happened was, is in Division Three, when all the football guys went home to intern or work or whatever, not a lot of guys stayed on campus during the summer. So this, this roommate and my partner, James, we would call each other every day and we'd say, hey, what did you lift on this lift? What did you get on this circuit? And at the time, we both had smartphones and we were like hey this is kind of silly that we take home this paper packet um it's kind of silly that we you know have to call each other up to see what we did on you know that on the workout that day what if we just put this on a mobile app so initially tom we actually thought team builder was going to be an app that was primarily for student athletes to see their workouts to kind of interact kind of like a social media type thing but then wisely we went to the only strength coach that we knew at the time and we sat down and we kind of proposed our idea and our prototype. And the guy told us, to his credit, uh, told us, if you add a tool to the strength and conditioning program that's fun and cool for athletes, but costs the strength coach more time, 
it's not going to be a viable business. And he kind of pivoted us towards building a tool for strength coaches that would beat Excel in terms of time and efficiency, and then also serve the student athlete as a mobile, a mobile smartphone app. Wow. And then, and then kind of from there, you know, um, people always talk about, you know, what was that first iteration like? You probably could go back and look at some original files and probably laugh at, you know, what were we thinking? What were you thinking? And what did that first kind of rollout look like? Um, the rollout is hilarious. I mean, I could pull up some screenshots that we have like in storage of like what it looked like. And I mean, it would, it would make you laugh. Um, there was no website. There was just like a login screen that looked like some high school kid, you know, learn how to code and whipped up a login screen. But initially, you know, we basically had like a, a database where athletes were storing their numbers in you know, a team builder database. Um, and that was actually pretty important for our development because like, Tom, as you know, there's no shortage of fitness apps out there on the market for like gen pop, for student athletes, for whatever. But what they all like to do, what everyone likes to do is everyone likes to show a workout to someone. What people don't like to do, these companies is store that data in a database that's easily accessible. That's where things get harder. And um, we actually built a database from the beginning. So we were interested in storing data. We were interested in using data in order to let coaches do, you know, to, do to, to improve their practice using that data. So that was the biggest thing that we did is we built a database as opposed to just an app, a front end app. And that's a consideration for other people to start businesses is, are you gonna collect data or not? That's a big question when you start your business from the beginning. Um, so that first iteration from there, the hardest thing was basically Tom, every strength coach was like, I like to program this way. I like to program that way. The more strength coaches we talked to, the more we were like, man, this is a unique position. Not everyone does everything the same. There's like a lot of, you know, Experience and how people approach this workflow. So we put a lot of time and effort into building a workout builder that allowed multiple coaches with different backgrounds and different styles of programming to still operate on Team Builder. And that's why you see a lot of AMS systems out there like SmartAvays and, uh, and, and all these others integrate with us because as we built a world-class workout builder and no one else was really interested in that. So number one, a database, number two, a workout builder. Those are the reasons why Team Builder exists today. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point and, and you hit it there a couple of times about, you know, owning that space, owning the workout and, you know, that whole experience from concept to programming style. And, you know, how do I make a technology that's a force multiplier, not, you know, a hassle creator. And so trying yeah. to, yeah, and it sounds easy, like in general, everyone's always like, oh yeah, I could come up with something. But then you find out that original design is very, very hard and especially, go back to 2010, as you mentioned, <clears throat> can you beat Excel? Or, you know, everybody and their brother tried to do um, an access database. And then after access, it was a yeah. you know, Google Drive. And so <clears throat> it's still this idea of this, how do I have ultimate flexibility, but at the same time scale? And as you talked about numbers retention, um, that just becomes a really big problem because if you have a lot of athletes, every workout, you're just accumulating, you know, numbers and numbers. And I know now you can even include video, um, that's yep. certainly a way more daunting task than people might actually think it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, what you decide to invest in at the beginning of your business probably determines your outcome, your, whether you succeed or not. Um, I think about if we took our business any other direction in the beginning, uh, we probably wouldn't be where we are today because there's not a lot of room for 
software technologies and the strength and conditioning space. Uh, people have a builder, like a team builder. They may have an AMS, which is like a, a data visualization system. And they might have some other softwares, but there's not that much room. It's not a big market to, to go and build a product into. What you build has to have a lot of impact on their workflow. Like you said, uh, you know, like a force factor. Um, so whether we got lucky or just kind of fell into it, I don't know what you want to say, but in retrospect, I know that was definitely the case. We invested in the right part of our business, which was alleviating coaches' stress and time with a specific workflow that ended up being a workflow that everyone had in common. NFL coaches, high school coaches, they both had to sit down and write a training program at some point. They can't avoid that part of the job. How did you go about deciding where to start or at, let's put it this way, in your development processes? What, what were your steps? Because they very easy. You can get tech creep. Oh, we could do this. We could do this. We could do this. But how did you, yeah. what decision process did you put in place to say, Hey, we're going to add a button. We're going to add this feature. What, what does that mm -hmm. analysis look like? Cause you guys have iterated, you know, pretty frequently and fluidly. You don't, you know, every yeah. year without a new release, it's kind of constantly going, how does that work? So I have to give all of that credit to my partner, James. Um, he, not only is he a talented developer, but he's, you know, probably uh, like a, like a first class product manager, product, you know, designer. Um, I would talk to a lot of coaches. I would bring a lot of information to James. James was and is naturally talented at taking information and understanding what is impactful and what is important. So he, he, he is our front end designer and has been from the beginning. And I don't think if, if it wasn't for his, talent, I don't think we, we would have gotten into a lot more rabbit holes in terms of building. And that's our biggest challenge today is when you add a lot of customers, there's no shortage of people who want to lobby for something new in your platform that they are determined is like a really impactful feature that's going to impact a lot of coaches, it's going to transform your platform. But there's a lot of that. And you will they pay for it? it? And will they pay for and it? And will they pay for it? Yeah. I mean, no, we're a recurring software subscription. You have to pay for it on an annual basis, but we add a new feature about once a month. So when you, the moment you pay for it, by the time your renewal is up, you're going to see a dozen new things that you didn't initially get when you decided to pay for it. But people generally expect to pay the same price, right? They don't like to pay X amount and then pay Y the next year. So you really want to avoid that. Um, but it, what it does do is it pays off in terms of customer referrals. Um, in a business like ours, it was just small and niche and really well connected. Um, word of mouth is actually the number one source of gaining new customers and a really good way to get new customers is to build them a product and improve that product continuously because it's fresh on their mind and they're happy to tell someone about, about team builder three years after they've been using it. You know, we would laugh when we'd go visit people and they're like, you know, pulling out the cards or the whiteboards out and, you know, you felt bad for them. And it's again, it's kind of a testament to, you know, what you guys did because, you know, we would mention, I couldn't even imagine going back and running 55, you know, concurrent programs parallel to each other, flexible, nonlinear with, you know, the football team alone, let alone 32 other teams, 900 athletes yeah. all over the world. And when the pandemic hit, everyone's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Like, it's honestly no yeah. different than going home other than the break was longer than we all wish would have been but i mean we were you know sending workouts all over the globe and i just i forget sometimes that again that problem has been kind of solved as far as that connectivity but what are other areas mm -hmm. that you see the the field kind of going and again whether it's your product or just kind of the industry what trends are you seeing 
Well, I in the small college space, like the small organization space, you can put high school in there too. I think what I really have enjoyed seeing is that um, the the programming, the the specificity of the programming is becoming so improved. Where you know when I was in college, every guy on the football team was doing the same program. If you were a senior D lineman and a freshman QB, your program looked identical. That's not happening anymore like it did back then team builder helps a lot with that but i think also the the quality of the strength coaches in these smaller organizations are are helping with that right uh high schools where you know they're doing running block zero with a high school freshman and then they're running triphasic with that same athlete four years later that wasn't happening when i was in high school so you know these concepts are are starting to be implemented at an earlier time in an athlete's kind of journey, uh, just because of how many strength coaches are finding themselves in the high schools and high schools are being more accommodating for that kind of that training. So I definitely see that as a trend. I, I saw recovery as like a pretty big trend recently, and then you know I, it kind of seemed like it. I don't know had its time in the spotlight, you know. Um, it's, it was like the hype for a little bit, but it wasn't like a trend there to stay. I mean, obviously there are recovery concepts that are going to be there forever, but I think the emphasis on it, I saw it kind of dwindle. Um, and I, I think what I noticed the most change in is uh, strength coaches becoming probably more well-rounded professionals. Um, it's not enough to write a badass program and to get a lot of effort out of your kids for an hour a day. I mean, that, that right there is going to, result in really good outcomes for your student athletes, but strength coaches are going to, are, are being required or voluntarily becoming more professional in terms of the way that they organize and frame the goals of their strength program, uh, the way that they approach athlete health, uh, in addition to performance, athlete health, just overall health, the mental aspect of things. I think that's really cool to see. Uh, there's a lot of coaches that, that have some pretty good knowledge in a lot of different areas and fields of study. And I think that's just cool how it's become holistic and more than just can I get people stronger, faster, and more powerful. That's the most exciting trend for me is the professionalism of the industry. We had a guest on the other week and uh, he talked about the days of my program with a capital P uh, are over. And so what do you mean program with a capital P? He's like, you know what I'm talking about. It's that program that works unquestionably. And that if it doesn't work for you, it's because you didn't follow my program with a capital P and the paradigm going into things now is, yeah, you have to scale, you have to individualize, you have to position, you have to give clear intent. Uh, yeah. You know, in our first podcast, we had Eric Renan talk about merit-based training. You know, why, why would, you know, a senior and a freshman be doing the same thing? Why would even the same class year, even the same position, they have different needs and strengths. And so, you know, yeah. understanding that as you advance, there's no program that's right or wrong. It's just, what are your deficiencies? What are your strengths? And then is that program tailored to you? And without having to go print out the cards or go and do this, you just go into your saved workouts and you can pull it out. And, you know, you could either a copy the entire thing or B use that skin and architecture to say, Hey, you know, here are some of the concepts and rep schemes that I know have worked in the past. I want to stick with it. Um, That's pretty neat too. So I, I agree with you on that. My, my one question for you though, is when you have this new tool that you can customize it, you can do this. And again, think of a sliding scale of like time and individualization. I mean, you could live all day in the platform to like, I have Mm. to get out. There is a level of proficiency. And then also knowing what you're doing. Like I would ask people say, well, what about this pro? Well, I don't know how to enter that in or how do, 
how do I load that into a system? I would just typically just write it out, you know, from my clipboard to the whiteboard. How do you go about educating people? Um, because having a, a Lamborghini that you don't know how to shift out a second isn't really helpful. How do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Well, I, you know, this, it sounds like I'm just like putting heaps of praise on my partner, but I, I have to just say what's right here. Good product design will help with the onboarding of a customer and allowing them to experience and, and learn new functions within your platform. There are powerful platforms that are just not easy to learn. And then there are powerful platforms that are easy to learn. And that has to do with how it's designed as a product. So you know, before I get into things like uh, using a customer success team to schedule an orientation call with a coach or having a, a good video support library, which we do, and we, it is important. Before all that, the foundation to having a very usable product is having a really uh, good UI UX experience in the platform. And that means that you don't necessarily have to go and grab someone who is a strength coach, who likes strength and conditioning, who understands fitness. A lot of our developers are not really interested in that. You know, they, they don't lift, they, they know strength coaches because of us, but outside of that, they wouldn't know any, but they're very talented at their art, their craft. And that I think is a big deal in starting a, a company is that it's okay to have people who are not necessarily in touch with your end customer, your end user, but they're very talented at what they do. Uh, that goes a long way. So another thing that's gone a long way for us is um, we have to educate the customers, but do it in like a, a digestible way. So if you go look at our support videos, um, I basically started making support videos because a coach would ask me a question over email. And instead of writing out a paragraph to kind of walk them through this, I'd be like, well, let me just record a video and then he can follow along with me. Okay. And those videos would be like, hey, coach Hewitt here. Uh, okay, so we're going to show you how to do this. And it, the support videos were not dressed up or like flashy or well-produced, but they just kind of got to the point, right? And I just made a bunch of them. And that's worked for us the whole time. We've never had to like switch our strategy on support videos. The way we come up with new support videos now is if we get a question from a coach and the video doesn't exist, we create the video for that coach and then we post it as the support video for that specific question. Because guess what? You know, people are going to come later on and ask that same question later on. So right. that's how we went about building you know, our support infrastructure. Well, and again, too, this is where you are as good as the people you have around you. And you mentioned that, you know, that might be a knack of someone who's just really good at being able to break down questions so that way you can create those kind of videos that scale and give you solutions. How do you go about the talent war of hiring these individuals? Because again, you know, you guys have grown, you're not just the two of you, yourself and your partner. How have you gone about in the talent war of hiring people? And what do you kind of look for um, when you are looking to hire people? Well, I think it's, it's similar to the anyone who's coached for three decades will tell you that the generations of athletes change. And how you work with them and talk to them and coach them has to change according to, you know, the characteristics of that generation. I think the same goes for uh, us in our workforce. The people that we hire are generally going to be millennials uh, or younger. And um, th th the values th that are common with those employees are going to be different than employees much, much older and much, much younger. So in our case, what we found works is that they really want a transparent environment where James and I are very transparent with the, the, the employees. That matters a lot to them. Um, 
So we kind of keep everything in Slack and it's kind of open out there in Slack. You know, we don't have a lot of silos within our company. We don't force it, but we're just very, uh, you know, we're very open with how, what James and I, how we make decisions and the thinking behind them. People yeah. can get behind that. That's a big thing. And then the other thing is that we emphasize quality, uh, quality of life uh, in addition to work. So uh, we had this policy where we had unlimited vacation. And we meant to tell people that a limited vacation is like a contract between the employer and the employee. And it means that the employer trusts you with this unlimited resource uh, so that you don't abuse it, but it allows you to live a better quality of life. If you have a funeral or uh, a, a high school reunion or something that is important to you, we don't want work to be a constraint on those things that improve your life. Um, so those are the kinds of things that we've implemented to kind of compete with the Googles and the Apples because they pay a lot of money and their benefits are amazing. Um, but I think what people like about team builders that they believe in the boss, Hewitt and James, like they're smart guys doing the right thing. And I know that because they, they keep me in a loop on how they're thinking about this company. And that's gone a long way for us. It's kind of that radical transparency um, has kind of built up a lot of trust among our employees. And we also, don't get me wrong, we don't sit around and hold hands and, and sing songs by the campfire. I actually say it's it's inappropriate to call your workplace a family and your your colleagues a family because I, I don't want that kind of like uh, unnecessary sense of loyalty uh, to exist. If they find a better opportunity and they can improve their life by moving on from team builder, I actually want that for them. That that's actually caring about someone, not telling them that they're family and that we're going to be in this together forever. Uh, I think that that's some kind of healthy boundaries that we put in place too, and people respect them. That's a, a great point. And I, I just think that it's interesting that you deal with a field where that is the, maybe the complete opposite, the low pay, the expectation mm. of hours. And so that probably translates a little bit to your customers. Cause uh, I know it, it, I, I had you come visit, we were at four 30 in the morning ready to get after it. That's right, man. It, it's brutal. And I, I don't feel like I have an, a, a right to have like an opinion on it. I, I'll never, I'll never publicly like come out and have a stance on it, but you're right, man. Like there are some staffs where they're like, we're a family, we're in this together. And you start to wonder like, is it appropriate to, to put on that kind of, you know, that to, it kind of makes people buy in, but buy into what point uh, to the point where it sacrifices you know, family life or, you know, their, their personal health. You got to be careful with that because uh, it could easy, it could be easy to get caught up, especially if you're, if you're going gung ho and you want everyone to kind of match James and I can't expect people at our company to put in the same level of effort and time that we do. We're owners, we're, we're equity owners in the company. Um, we have more of a vested interest and get a different outcome from our company's success than our employees do. So why would we expect them to work at the same level as us? I think that would be unreasonable. And sometimes a, a fierce leader is probably a good leader, but could examine that part of things sometimes as well. Yeah, I know. I can certainly attest to going through that myself, because as you sit there and you go again, coaching is not a job. It's a lifestyle. It's a profession. But yeah, there's there's a ton of missed holidays. There's a ton of, you know, weekends where you're not around and, and you listen to strength coach after strength coach. They all say the same thing is that it goes by so fast. And so figuring out how to balance that. And I don't know when you're at the, you know, the top of your game or when you're in it if necessarily you can see that because it's all, you know, it's all consuming. You're within your bubble of your confines. Yeah. And, and it, the other thing that's been interesting is the uh, you're on other people's schedule. 
So you're on the yeah. different team schedule. And especially if you're at an institution that maybe you have four or five teams, you don't get a schedule. You are everything we would joke about the sudden change. And I can't tell you how many interns say, Oh, we hate sudden changes. Like we all do, but that's part of the deal. Yeah. That comes with the territory. So I think, you know, again, all, all important stuff and, and make specifically sure that you have a, a strategy in place to handle that. Cause it certainly is uh, something to be aware of. Yeah. Tom, do, do you mind if I ask you a question on your own podcast? Let's because um, I, I was listening to, to someone talk about how in the U.S., strength and conditioning has historically be, been heavily influenced by football strength and conditioning because that was the sport that probably, you know, pioneered strength and conditioning. Um, but that, you know, it's only like a recent trend where football has less and less of an influence over strength and conditioning as a whole. And the prof- some would argue that the profession is better off for that in the last five or 10 years. And you've done all the sports, including football. So I thought you'd be an appropriate person to ask that. What would you say when you say better? Because it's different. Different, right? Um, I think like for starters, I remember when people started talking about how we're going to treat the weight room as a place of privilege, not a punishment. So when the sports coach asks you to punish an athlete as a strength coach, you ought to say, no, I don't want to use my profession as a punishment tool. I want to use it as a tool to build up athletes. That's an example. I think that people probably saw as a diversion from like a very football centric kind of mentality. Uh, you know, other mentalities might be like, you know, workload monitoring. You know, I, I don't necessarily know if that was something that was embraced by football first or embraced by other sports and then brought into football. So those are just some examples. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely has changed. It is different. Um, but in, in specifically football contracts are shorter than they've ever been. You don't get 10 years to rebuild a program. So at the highest Mm -hmm. level, and I think Alabama to their credit, um, what they've done now is, you know, they are a great program. They instituted a brand new paradigm of being heavy, heavy science data oriented from a place that, you know, you know, coach Saban had his way that he wanted to do it. And there was no, um, leniency there to, yeah, you know, now you start seeing that, you know, more and more teams, a just like sports are buying into it. I mean, we had fencing at Yale, we had all sorts of sports. I know Nebraska had bowling, they were heavy lifting, uh, you know, our women's tennis team that we had at Yale was incredible four days a week getting after it. Um, so I think it's becoming more accepted, but I do think, and whether it's team builder or just other technologies, um, it's no longer good enough just to be the head coach's friend. Because those hires used to come from the head coach, not from an administrator, not from a medical standpoint. So, you know, when you think, I think actively there's something like 30 death cases right now in college strength and conditioning where kids died due to sudden illness Mm -hmm. or heart stuff. I think, A, that should happen, that it should shift more towards that kind of independent role because you shouldn't get hurt. And now there's a paper trail. So whether it's a force play DEXA scanner, your team builder, you can't just go in and be like, Oh, I don't know what this kid did over the last month or two. You better be able to pull that yeah. out. I think that's good because the transparency should drive success uh, markers to drive the economy, but then also too, it'll weed out the ones that just have letters after their name or no letters after their name and they can't perform it. Cause we've yeah. never had wins and losses. Strength and conditioning never had wins and losses. Yeah. Now, now we can see you absolutely can. And if you go into your team builder and the maxes aren't going up, you know, you're, you're able to get away with that for maybe two lifts, two days. But the idea that you're going to write a six month Soviet style block. And at the end of it, you're going to be like, we've concluded this didn't work. Like those days are gone. 
So I think now the yeah. it's going to be under more scrutiny, which should help, you know, the top performers and also hurt some of the old guard that maybe aren't as proficient as maybe they originally thought they were. So you, you brought up like the, the one example that I was searching for, which is the hiring practices. Um, like some folks will say, uh, when I say some folks, like a handful of people I talk to, right, coaches, will say that the network hiring in the football world or nepotism, right, if you want to call it that, right. um, kind of stunted the, the hiring and evaluation process for strength and conditioning. Uh, usually coaches got jobs by being within a network, especially in football. And therefore, a lot of strength coaches don't, didn't have confidence in athletic directors to properly evaluate a hire and evaluate a person in a position. And I, I don't disagree with that. I don't think a lot of ADs are very good at, um, at evaluating um, strength and conditioning coaches. They're going to rely heavily on references and like the brand of the past schools that coaches work for. Um, and there's a lot of good strength coaches out there that have very little confidence in, a, in administration's ability to hire and evaluate strength coaches. And not to point fingers because it's not productive, but some people would probably guess that that's because strength coaches were hired based on network or nepotism for so long. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And, and especially now with things changing and the college environment shifting, you know, at the highest level, it's going to become pro sports. I mean, already, I think Alabama announced today, one of their players who hasn't even played yet has a million dollar in endorsements. That's a new environment. Yeah. Um, and you go all the way to division three or even within division one, where I just think it's so important for administrators to have clarity and what are they trying to do? Um, are you trying to win? You know, are you a tiered school? You, and then, you know, are those resources? Because the thing is your, your responsibility and your authority have to line up. And oftentimes you mentioned, you know, you need to do this. You need to get them stronger. You need to do this. You need to be the disciplinarian. You need to do this. Oh, by the way, you got to go clean the floor. Then you're going to have to work these four other teams. And, you know, how do we get it done? We'll figure it out. And, and the reality is, is that those environments and, and you know, you've seen it. I, I hear about it too. I just think you have to have an honest conversation. Is our goal to be able to give a great experience, which nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong mm -hmm. with that. Or are we supposed to go out there on national television, compete where there's contract money on the line? Is there, you know, things, because again, people would ask me all the time, well, if all the stuff you did at Yale worked or whatever, why doesn't everyone do it? It's like, it was a lot of time. It was not a work-life balance. It was not. And, and nor do I, yeah. think, I think I would have wanted to do that because we had such a clear mission of, okay, we got to go win this, win this championship, win these conferences. Um, so I think you just have to have that clarity, which will ultimately drive, you know, the hiring, like you said, like I can think of five people at the top of my head that maybe they're not the most technically sound. They're not the most savvy with the science and physics, but everybody mm -hmm. loves them. They're not going to hurt them. You know, they're mm -hmm. going to put it out there, but you know, if you need someone who can get you four to six inches in their vertical jump, you know, in a, uh, in a four-year period, or if you want someone whose power output goes up 3000 Watts or whatever, I mean, it, it becomes much more of a, almost an engineering type evaluation of what have you done? You know, I'm yeah. sure James is looking at a coder. He might evaluate some code and code can be efficient. It can be inefficient. It could be front end. It could be back end. I think that's where I see sports performance is going to require a team because nobody yeah. can be great at everything. And so these assembled staffs of four and five, like I, you know, you mentioned some of the stuff that we did at Yale. I only could do that because of the staff that we had every single person on staff had yeah. a superpower. And then we created an environment where we wanted to come together to make something special. And so I think that hiring again, what's your goal, what's your alignment, what's your vision. All right, now let's go and get people 
um, that can fulfill that, but just, it just can't be roll the ball out, but we want these, you know, high end performance outcomes. Cause it's hard to develop. It's hard to change, yeah. you know, and build those cultures. What do you think the biggest impediment to achieving what you just described? Is it like the sports coaches? Cause what the first thing that comes to my mind is there's a lot of sports coaches. Are they all on the same page? They're like a pretty significant stakeholder at the collegiate level anyway. Um, is it administration? Like what, what's the biggest barrier to, to kind of getting there? Well, I just, I think it, it, again, it comes down to, I, when I say, I think about, you know, you have administration, you have sport coaches and you have support staff. The administration has got to have a clear vision of what they want, because at the end of the day, the sport coaches want their team to do well. And, and, and rightfully so, maybe they don't really care. You know, they say they're all a team, right. they will have their, their own interests, but it really starts at the top to figure out kind of what we're doing um just as a program are we are we tiered and we're gonna you know give more you know resources to one team because it's actually beneficial for the whole do the students Mm -hmm. like that or is it going to be across the board but i think honestly then we were just saying this the other day the biggest problem right now is that in any other field if you get an undergraduate and then you get a master's you get more money if you get a master's and you get a PhD, you get more money. And so there's a leveling up or opportunity. So think about a tenured professor has to have a PhD, you know, this, that, Mm -hmm. the other thing in our field, we get kids who come out with masters, you know, and then when they get their 10 grand position, I mean, count it, call it what it is. They're below the poverty line. And so Mm -hmm. until the industry says, you know, you get an undergrad, you get this, say 30 grand masters, you get, you know, whatever the next level, but then the masters to that kind of either director or a kind of larger leadership position has to become outcome-based. It's in the financial industry. It's it's in the medical industry where there's a residency. And I think that's where we're headed is that I can't tell you the number of people would come in. I'm not saying I had all the answers, but you would go and look at people that have spent six years studying this craft, you know, and they can't write a workout like physically, you know, they write out a grocery list, you know, and and say, go do these things. And that's not, that's not necessarily a great thing after six years. It's like an apprentice, you know, plumber who can't put in a toilet. Like there's some basic basic blocking and tackling you got to be able to do to be successful. I just don't think we're there yet. Yeah. I mean, look to, to your point about the strength and conditioning industry being underfunded as a whole. um, When we started our business, we kind of discovered this, right? Uh, We kind of, we kind of discovered that, man, there is no such thing as a strength and conditioning budget. It's this coach is going to need something and go to a sports coach and ask for it. And it kind of put things in perspective for us. Uh, you know, we had a kind of, we weren't, it wasn't like we we're going to go out and spend a lot of money as a company, but we had to understand that this is not the kind of business where we're going to, uh, you know, go out and raise a bunch of capital or go out and do a lot of marketing, a lot of advertising. You have to build relationships with these people and allow them to trust you to kind of get that money, whether it comes from their budget or wherever. Because people, when they make a purchase in strength and conditioning, it has to really fit. They don't have the luxury of like, we're going to grab it. Not everyone's Alabama, right? And when we learned that, we're like, man, this is going to be a different kind of business to work in. This is going to be, we're really going to have to earn this money and we're going to have to earn trust in order to get people to pay up for Team Builder. And that was an interesting realization early on. And you and I have both seen um, people kind of go into strength and conditioning and then what do they always do? They always kind of pivot to like fitness. You know, they go to like one-on-one training or like the private facilities or something different because like they don't like how, you know, it's a pretty painstaking sales process to go in and get a strength staff to, you know, cough up some money. They really have to trust what they're buying. 
Yeah. And, and it's not easy, you know, on all fronts, because every, as you mentioned, everybody has their own way that they want to do it. But if you're already mm-hmm. underfunded, you're already under resourced, you're going to have to cover for each other. You know, I think, you know, if you remember, we talked about, you know, we would go through, you know, every two or three months and clean out our team builder, go through, all right, who added exercise squat? Well, we know what a squat is. Was it a back squat, a high bar squat? Is it a low bar squat? You know, is it on the kabuki bar? Is it on the safety bar? Is it on the alumalite? Is it on the, you know, whatever? You know, was it a was it a goblet squat? And so we actually the ontology became, you know, the implement, you know, the direction, yeah. single leg, supinated, pronated, whatever, directionality, yeah, and some sort of other descriptor. And I would always get yelled at by the staff about, all right, somebody put in a, a row. Uh, that would have been me. And so we have to delete it out because if we don't have a shared language, it's very hard uh, to be efficient yeah. everyone's doing their own thing. Well, it kind of reminds me, Tom, when you asked me earlier uh, in the show, you're like, how do you make sure people are utilizing Team Builder? It's like, well, now that we talk about this part, maybe the biggest answer is that if a coach is going to spend money on something and there's little to no budget, you better believe that they're going to, you know, try to get some utility out of it. That's probably what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just think, you know, again, we'd have people come in, we'd show them whether it was on the internship or just as a junior, uh, junior coach. And the nice thing is you could just do whatever you want it. And my whole thing was do whatever you want, but what are we trying to improve? Whether it's power, you know, put them on the plates. It either went up or it went down, you know, we're going to add muscle, go to the scanner, or we're going to put them on the laser, whatever the thing was. And I I never forget coach Epley's quote of, you know, you're going to write crappy programs, write them once. Mm -hmm. And so I find that all the time as people rerun the same thing over and over again. And and I can even think back to, we had one summer, one of our position groups didn't really put up the numbers we wanted to. We were able to go back, recall all the workouts that happened the year prior. And and that's a good test too. I ask people now, like, can you pull your historical logs? Cause that's the most important data and say, oh, I should have gone heavier or that was in the wrong percentage band, or I should have stacked Mm -hmm. these days. They weren't complimentary. They were actually causing an interference effect you know, let's flip this around, but just to be able to have that conversation through the logs um, was so important. And then if your program was good, um, so say I wrote a program that was good, uh, we would go in and and save the program. And so save it. And then we would joke about that area on the left. I don't even know what it's actually called, but that was like our filing cabinet where we would load it. And then in the description, we would write, here's the context. Cause people ask all the time, what's the best workout? What's the best exercise? Well, what's the context? Am I dealing with an 18 year old who's super gifted and twitchy and, you know, powers through the roof and whatever, or am I dealing with someone who's more forceful, doesn't really feel confident, but is super skilled at their whatever. There's so much context that goes into program design that, you know, that's why you have to write that into the description. So I think of uh, Mm -hmm. Coach Schaefer's program that he wrote, everybody, we put that on for four weeks prior uh, to a heavy power block. Um, some of his progressions for Olympic lifting were, were spot on rep set and then the drills. So then everybody just started using that as a preparatory block. And I think a lot of places, typically they have a whole thing going. And then when they leave, it's like a complete reboot. There's all loss of institutional yeah. colleges. Nobody has it versus, you know, I was able to leave with confidence knowing that every single rep and set that a kid has taken since 2017 mm-hmm. is saved in that system. And so you can go back, tweak it. You can analyze it. You can do all these different things, both daily and then annually. And so that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I know we continue to push the boundary um, with that stuff because there is so much, you know, opportunity and power that you can use within the system. 
people love this topic. You and I talked about this on my podcast. I have so many texts from folks like just loving that podcast. It's like a reflective aspect of the profession that is not talked about very often. So it makes me wonder, like, who taught you, Tom? Like, did you teach, did you come up with this yourself? Did you work for coaches who are big on looking back at past programs? Like, you know, you're, all, you're one of the few people who've talked about it this way. And I'm just wondering, like, how it, how it arrived, you know, with, with you. Yeah, so, so good question. I mean, I, I'd go back to Coach Epley. You know, he saved every workout uh, workout card from the Nebraska Husker mm-hmm. Power time. And unfortunately, I think somebody was cleaning out one of the offices. And so all those records were lost. So they're gone. We'll never get them back. Wow. Coach Epley was meticulous. You should have used Team Builder back in the 70s. You should have been born sooner, Hewitt. You should have been able to get it out there. But they had all that stuff. And I mean, that would have been a, you know, a machine learning dream to have that with yeah. all the championship teams and all the other metadata that they had, that would have been big. And then obviously the other influence was Dr. Kramer talking about the workout logs at UConn because people forget the work that Jerry Martin did with him. I mean, that was, that was a Camelot situation where you had one of the best minds in research partnering up with a guy who had no ego. And, you know, you go look at what they did from the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, of the, the women's basketball championships, the men's basketball championships, and then football leveled up from FCS to FBS. People forget that coach Edson mm-hmm. went on to go to Maryland, but the stuff that Jerry was working on, you know, and I've seen some of those original files um, from people that, you know, knew what was going on and talking to doc. I mean, it was so far ahead of the time, even now from what they did mm-hmm. because they created this collaboration environment. And so, yeah, we were very, very heavy on looking at the data. And then, you know, you mentioned that auditing. I mean, every Monday was an audit program defense. What are you doing? How are you approaching it? Mm-hmm. Going through and not in an attacking way, but kind of just kind of sharpening the blade. And what happened is, is as I mentioned, I, you know, I was an idiot. My staff was incredible. They were able to sit down and they could start reciting INOLs and tonnages and reports and different strategies. And then even in the comments, because people forget too in Team Builder, those comments, that should, and I tell them, it looks like a medical record. I need to know exactly how you felt. So don't just say wait, good, or no comments. Was it a, you know, we were in an RPE plus two situation, or we were in an RPE plus five situation, or you know what, this was at 80%. You know, I loved it when people, we'd get to like, say 90%, kid would do two or three reps and be like, yeah, I could have done like 10 more. Well, right there, the most important part of that is that that was not the correct percentage or your kids out of your mind, but you as a coach need to be able to go and look. And if your intent was to be mm-hmm. at the 90% threshold where you get three to four exposures and get a benefit, then you need to see it. So those notes, and we would train kids. I don't know. Did you ever get to see our welcome week that we put in there? Uh-uh. Oh yeah. Welcome week is this program. And, and I know everybody has a little bit different variation, but our welcome week was over two weeks where we would write things like this is a sliding set. This is an AMRAP. This is a custom. This is a rep zone. This is a percentage Uh, for speed. Go tell coach TJ a joke. Go tell coach Rachel uh, a fun fact. And so we would put in these little like kind of Easter eggs, if you will, throughout the two weeks, just to see how locked in the kids were. Go record a video of this exercise. And we wouldn't graduate people out of this welcome week, not for their weight, their strength or athleticism, but were they intentional and understanding what Mm -hmm. this was? And so when you got them doing that in the fall on the iPads, it wasn't a big stretch when they got home. And then what happened is, is people go, well, what if the kids wanted to do their own thing? My counter to that is if you have a good program, the kids shouldn't want to do anything else. You yeah. Know? The kids should go, oh my God, if I don't do this, I'm going to fall behind. And 
Will there always be someone who wants to do their own thing? Absolutely. You're never yeah. going to get a hundred. There's no better alternative to what I'm already doing. They have to understand that. Yep. And, and then you come back. I believe that. Yeah. And, and kids would come back and they're like, I didn't work out. I'm not playing. I'm not happy. It's like, correct. That workflow was, yeah. correct. you should have done it. And then, you know, they buy in because they see the success of others. And, and to your point earlier about the punitive stuff, I, you know, the biggest punishment you can give somebody is sit them on the bench. You know, the, the worst yeah. feeling in the world is I was a starter for two years, but you know, I, I tried to coast on my ability and I got surpassed, but I remember saying to coach Reno, we should have this thing so tuned up that we're bringing in athletes that are very athletic, but also super hungry and that they want to compete. And so the idea that, you know, the heart, what is it? The hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Well, Phil Heath said it best when he said, yeah, but when talent works hard, it's over. So we started bringing mm -hmm. in just monsters that were jumping out of the gym and running, but they were just great people, great quality kids. And, mm -hmm. and I, I didn't really, you know, especially I think about our couple championship runs. I never really had to yell. I would just be like, okay, do what you want. Yeah. Go, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. See how that works. But then the players would be like, that's not how we do it. And so when you're player led, follow the program, look at the success we've had. Sometimes that matters more than any, just, you know, pure number, if that makes sense. So I mean, we could go on. Yeah. It, it, it certainly was impressive and fun to be a part of. Well, it, it, it like reminds me, and I kind of correct myself when earlier in the podcast, I talked about how when we recruit on the technical side of our company, we have to find people who are technically gifted, just super talented. Um, and of course, good people, we want that aspect as well. But on the non-technical side, which is what I oversee here at Team Builder, what I've really enjoyed is hiring people um, who have some familiarity with the profession, the strength and conditioning profession. Because take if you take customer support, for example, um, support can be a grind job. People calling, emailing, have issues. Some are trivial, some are not. Um, that kind of grinds you down. I found out that like if, if when I started bringing in people who were familiar with the profession, who respected it, they were young, they were interning, they were trying to make it, they honor the profession and therefore they have they've become a better worker at team builder as they serve strength and conditioning coaches. That has been super, super good for us. Um, really, really like that aspect of it. And I've had people who were not familiar or intimate with the strength and conditioning profession, and they didn't love and honor and respect the profession like the other ones have. And there's a difference there. So uh, identifying some key qualities and who you bring up, bring onto your team, that, that, that's a pretty good analogy between what you're doing at Yale and what I have to do here at my company is who we're bringing in. Cause that's kind of what makes or break the company at the end of the day, especially as you grow larger. Yeah. I mean, it's all about talent and that's why we work so hard to have a good feeder system and evaluate it. And then you want to see people when, you know, they're at their, their toughest time. And, you know, the, our internship program was tough. It was not easy. Um, but what I quickly found out was that a, uh, as a leader, I couldn't fix quitter. You're either a quitter or you're not and nothing against mm. them. I just didn't want that. And the other one was is you're either glass half full or glass half empty. And I remember, mm -hmm. you know, it's four in the morning, you are tired, you are cold. Nobody really wants to hear about it, but we're in it together and we need to get through. And I have to, you know, be a team player. And I think those were kind of things that I can have you read books. I can, you know, when you work on the floor for hours, you're going to get better. Um, that's going to happen, mm -hmm. but I just, some of those intrinsic qualities have to be there. And then the other one is the superpower. I mean, I could tell you right now, you know, coach Tofi, I mean, I could tell you straight up, he built things that directly resulted in, in winning big time championships. Um, and that's his jam. 
And then I can go tell you about, you know, coach Wayne, where he will sit and talk to you and connect with a person on a level that, you know, I couldn't, I'm in too much of a hurry and I wanted to go and he would sit there. And when he designs a program, you know, he does it out of care and the individuals see that. And so as everybody's constantly trying to refine their skills, they do have mm-hmm. to have some sort of superpower um, to act as kind of the foundation for what you're going to build, build off of. Yeah. If you, Tom, like if you were to like put together a staff from scratch again, um, you would have a pretty good idea of like the talents and superpowers that you wanted on the staff based on your last experience. Cause like you had a pretty successful, highly productive staff that you last worked with. Yeah. I mean, my staff was incredible. I mean, the things that happened and, and again, that balance of, you know, I could call any one of them up at two in the morning and they're going to go coffee in hand, laughing, like, let's get after this. Let's go and enjoy the competition and the challenge, both professionally, but then also to the development on the science side. But I mean, that staff, I mean, I couldn't, I was fortunate enough to have uh, that group of individuals. And even throughout the years, as people would go on and become directors or get the other jobs, mm-hmm. they, um, they definitely added to the legacy and made it better than they found. But without mm-hmm. question, um, Yale, cause we had so many people come through um, being able to handpick the best ones or that I thought were the best fit for our staff um, certainly gave me a lot of insight and it's just, it's hard, but you have to have, they, all of them too have an internal drive and you probably see that as well. You know mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you remember the article that coach Poliquin wrote is the myth of discipline. And you hear that and you're like, what do you mean? There's no such thing as discipline. And he goes in to talk about you, the best performers do things they love, you know, Jocko mm-hmm. discipline because he wakes up at four 30 in the morning. Or is that what he really, he loves doing that. And he, he enjoys that yeah. or doing something for your teammate or doing something as a group. And so I would kind of yeah. look for that as well as like, what do you love? Like, are you a 10 yeah. hour coach or are you an 80 hour a week coach? You know, do you love yeah. football or do you love all teams? Do you love development. Like I love working whether it's in tactical law enforcement, uh, high-end football, professional. Um, I love that. But I also like working with, you know, 10 and under. And we're just doing gross biomotor stuff with the balloons. I don't know if you remember Avery Fagenbaum's balloon drill. Get the balloon, draw the face, uh-huh. tell the stories, and, and make it creative. Because, again, I think every coach that I know that's worth anything has some sort of iron bug moment or some light switch moment where they're just like, wow, this is this is cool. And so seeing someone do something they didn't think they could do, uh, you know, getting someone to achieve something that couldn't have been possible. Um, you know, those are just as important, if not more important than the championships you won. That was the more, so you think if you could speak for your staff, you believe that was their reward mechanism was seeing changes in athletes, regardless of wins or losses. Do you think the most rewarding aspect is winning? Cause like, let's be frank when the program isn't winning, like the building kind of comes down a couple notches. What, what do you think is the most rewarding aspect of coaching in your last stint with Yale? Just seeing an operation at the highest level. And, and I'm not saying that out of my own assessment, but having people come in and saying, wow, you guys st- have staff meetings every day. You saw the room we had mm-hmm. staff in, you know, and then yeah. go in and, and then audit on Wednesday. And then we would go look at our craft they were very good at what they did and they got better and you're like, Oh, it can't get any better than this. And then it does seeing them integrate into recruiting um, just being part of an elite group that you knew development wise, like we'd go toe to toe with anybody. And, and I say mm-hmm. that again in the spirit of trying to push the field forward, because there was a lot of things that we learned, just even the collaborations, teaching with engineering, teaching, going, mm-hmm. going sitting in on a, 
sports analytics conference uh, with Dr. Kaplan over at School of Management and every GM's got their assistants in there and, you know, really utilizing those resources. That was, that was really cool. But I, I think our staff loved competing because they were all mm-hmm. former athletes. They took a lot mm-hmm. of pride in writing programs that they could demonstrate and show and team builder their results, but then knowing how that's going to translate to the field. And then the championships kind of just took care of themselves. Yeah. So just watching your staff operate at a high level, something that you had been working towards, that was the, the reward, the process. Yeah. Oh, your staff's really great. Yeah, I know. That's why we recruited them. <laughs> it's a, I remember every single one of them's first day as an intern. So they've been handpicked because they're the best. And again, uh, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not my opinion. It's go look at their numbers, look at their output, look at their championships, look at their reviews. Mm-hmm. And again, will you please everybody? No, there's people that like you, people that don't like you. That's part of the deal. But if you yeah. have to look at the collective whole, you know, in general, mm-hmm. we made every effort to try to make sure that at least the athletes had a great experience regardless of their physical ability. Um, but then obviously the championships and the prestige prestige is nice, but you know, some of our favorite memories are out on the half turf in the summer or, you know, in the heart of winter doing, you know, the, the circuit and, you know, individuals, yeah. are their, their numbers go up. So it's, it's pretty, pretty rewarding. Yeah. I, I'm just, you know, I'm kind of like reflecting on my company here at team builder, like uh, what's our reward mechanism, what really makes people happy and feel accomplished. I can tell you, it's definitely not when we sign up, you know, a new NFL team and we plaster the logo on the website and social media like that, that's fun and exciting. It's considered like a company win. Um, but that's definitely not the, the reward mechanism. Like it's gotta be deeper than that. It's almost not even results oriented as much as it is like kind of what you're talking about process oriented. Like, do you have a process that you're proud of and can, you know, are proud to be a part of every day. That's kind of what keeps people coming back, not just kind of hanging scare, uh, hanging carrots or, you know, having, material rewards or whatever. Um, but that's something I should probably spend more time thinking about is, is what, what really makes people happy here? Um, you know, what is it? How can we like identify that and put that in perspective? That would be a worthwhile exercise, I think, to do. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that kind of starts with your own reflection of what motivates you because you are your five mm-hmm. closest friends and typically within yeah. your company leadership, there's probably similar traits. And I mean, what do you use to motivate yourself? kind of to start like because again the product works you know it's out there thousands of people yeah it, but what what kind of pushes you because otherwise you guys could just sit there and just say yeah we're good but i know that's not the case you guys have never sat still no we haven't and quite frankly you know the last year or two things have gotten to a point where like we finally could do that if we wanted to like our company has been able to hire the people we need and we've we've got some really good processes in place that kind of run on their own so I do think about showing up and uh, like why I come into work and like, what's the biggest thing. And it's my employees and my customers. Like I try to talk to all of my employees, like almost every day and not just about work stuff, but like, how was your weekend? Like, how are you feeling? That, that kind of stuff, like finding ways to make them more productive and happier is like a really important you know, part of like my job now. And I like that. And then my customers, like always hearing good things from customers and then addressing things that could be done better for customers. Those two groups of people definitely keep me in it. Um, if I was in a role where I like didn't talk to employees all that often, or if I didn't talk to customers all that often, my intrinsic motivation would look totally different, totally different. Um, probably why I'm not a computer programmer, you know, like that's, that's not for me. It doesn't fit my personality, my constitution. So that's the, the short answer, but it could, it's definitely a question 
that I could spend more time reflecting on, you know, like a lot of time reflecting on. Yeah. I know you would call us and get us hyped and, and people would look and be like, what's wrong? Well, it's not, you know, the fact that you aren't just a vendor, it's just not a software. We always felt like, you know, we, we were, we had a part of a team and I think, you know, for you guys, I, I remember at one point, I think you were helping some of our rivals, you know, they were over at other schools uh-huh. and, and it was actually awesome. And I remember at one point saying to the, the other team's coach, I was like, it's kind of interesting that the two people that are using this product are at the top of the, uh, top of the league. And he kind of laughed and, you know, um, we both kind of reflected on it, but we've always, you know, from a coaching industry, always appreciate the way that, you know, you've at least tried to, again, I just look at it saving time and making our lives easier, but it hasn't always been perfect, right? You've had some ups and downs as far as features. Mm -hmm. What was a feature that you guys rolled out that you're like, oh man, this is going to be great. And then you either had to kill it or you had to change it right away because it didn't go as planned. Um, that's a good question. Um, let, let's be real this payments portal thing that we spent a lot of time putting out there. I had this vision and I still have this vision. I believe in it where like when Uber and Lyft came around, uh, people who worked 40 hour jobs, eight to five could make some extra money on the side if they wanted to. And I was looking at strength coaches. I'm like, man, these guys are educated. They know their stuff. They're working long hours. They're on these set salaries. They probably wish they got paid more. Like I'm gonna open, I'm gonna create a payments portal where when kids graduate um, the program, the coach can still offer them training programs for 10, 20 bucks a month, 30 bucks a month, and do it all right in Team Builder, right? And they could do it as like a personal income thing or do it as like a fundraiser for the strength program. That payments portal didn't take off as fast as I as it's still not where I want it to be. I'll be honest. We're not gonna pull the feature. I believe in it. Like, I really think that's going to help people. And we made some changes to it that I hope will kind of accelerate its utilization. But that was kind of a gut punch. Like, I, I just couldn't figure out why. Like, it made so much sense to me. And that's when, that's when you really have to, like, be prepared. As some things you can think about, and they're going to make sense. And you can interrogate it. And you're, it's still going to work in your mind. And then it doesn't. That's a lot harder than looking back and be like, oh, that's why I didn't. Like, a specific reason. Like it's kind of the same with the relationships. Like, you're like it, it should have worked. What you know, what was wrong? Uh, like, I don't have a reason for why, but man, it just went wrong. And that's the toughest pill to swallow. And like, you got to swallow some of those pills when you start a business because like, you're gonna have some reasons as to why things didn't go wrong, and you're gonna have a lot of like unclosed cases, cold cases stuck in the in the evidence locker, and you're gonna have to find a way to sleep at night regardless of that. You know. Well, on the flip side, though, those those moments, whether it's a failure, whether it's not what you wanted to be, you mentioned, you know, a gut punch. It's also a learning lesson as well for your analysis of future stuff. What, what's been an example of some of the, the features that you're most proud of or things that really you're like, I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. And it's kind of a hallmark. <laughs> um, the uh, weight room view was something that we built and we're like, I don't know what do coaches can they afford tablets? Are they going to like get tablets? You know, people love weight room view and it's come through for a lot of people. Um, that was like one of our earliest features. I think that James just kind of like whipped up as like something to throw in an iPad. If you happen to have one, like, I don't know a lot of people have tablets, but here it is if you want it. And I think it's our flagship feature now. And we had one version built that was used for years and then we rebuilt it. There's only two versions of it, which means that we were pretty close the first time we built that feature originally. And the second version of it was basically a way to just update it because we had built a lot of new stuff in the meantime that that wasn't compatible. 
So when I look at the old school weight room view feature, even if we didn't update it, that thing would still work today. And that would be like a, that would be like an eight-year-old, nine-year-old software feature, which like how many software features are that old and still work eight or nine years after they were built? So that's, that's the one right there. That's cool. I, uh, I think back to um, when the day that you added video, because I remember at some point I'd said, mm -hmm. to you, you know, every coach knows, yeah, you squat 405. It's not even close. I just, I remember the day that the video came out and that was like, just that, that was, that was a huge moment in the industry. Cause suddenly now that subjectivity was gone. You could see mm -hmm. you have it. I can look at every squat you've done. And so some weeks we would literally just give different drills that had different movement patterns just for a qualitative yeah. subjective look. And that's why I laugh when it's like a packet, a packet mm -hmm. 2021, you can't even see if that looks like garbage and how many, how many times we watched, especially yeah. individuals would go home. They weren't doing their mobility. They weren't getting their soft tissue treatment and the quality just looked like garbage mm -hmm. and we would cut them off. And we were able to, again, the numbers spoke for themselves of reducing injuries. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't even know how many X fold. Um, but I remember video was just so massive. I, I, you know, you deserve so much credit, Tom, for pushing us in that direction because I remember when you explained it to me, it blew my mind. You're like, we can take these numbers and we could show them linearly and say, hey, this freshman got stronger by the time he was a senior. And that's the way it's been done for so long. And then you're like, what prevents us from taking the freshman's squat video? I mean, look at this guy's pretty poor squat that you would expect from a freshman. Now look at this guy's squat as a senior. And yes, he squats more, but look at his quality of movement. Look how efficient his movement is and i was like my goodness like what are we doing just staring at these leaderboard numbers on these whiteboard on these boards in the weight room you have no idea what that looked like you right. have no idea what it looked like it was it starfish power clean second place all time let's and that's when the video journal was like man we can take a qualitative approach to letting strength coaches look at their outcomes their athlete outcomes as opposed to just being a database of numbers which is all I thought, kind of thought Team Builder was is that we're a database of numbers, we're a database of numbers. And then now it's like, no, we're a qualitative, holistic platform. But you're the one who kind of had to introduce that concept to me. Oh, I, was so, I was so grateful that you listened because I, uh, I was going through and looking at some of my old journals and things like that and reflecting. And I remember, uh, and I found in January 22nd, 2016, we took out bars and all I did was I graded everybody three, two, one, zero on their technique, just the bar. And it was, I think at the time we did uh -huh. squat, power clean, bench press and push press, I think were the four exercises. Um, but basically grading from like zero, they couldn't one, they, you know, look like trash, more likely cool. to hurt themselves Two, they will get a sufficient training effect by doing this. And then three was something we'd be proud of <laughs> on YouTube. And there were not a lot of threes. They were not. And so- and then it was like, well, we got we to move weight. And it's like, well, first off, we need to get people to twos. And, and again, that numbering system comes out of some of the Nebraska stuff of just being able to put into, you know, different quarters of, you know, where your distribution of your team is. And if you don't have good technique, then you can't build mm -hmm. a house on, on, on shitty foundation. And that's kind of, we were able to do that way in advance with, you know, not losing that time at home. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, that was great, and I, we still have big plans for that. You know, we want to have a leaderboard where you click on the actual number on the leaderboard, and it has a video, so that hey, 
every everyone's under the microscope, right? But like, not in a big brother way, but like, come on, if we're going to put numbers in this leaderboard, let's do it the right way kind of thing. No. Um, so, so we're running with that. It's, it's going to be good. That's going to be a good, important part of our platform going forward. Nice. Well, what a, can you, can you give us some uh, insight and or sneak peeks or things to potentially huh. think about that are coming out without revealing too much? Cause I know, again, you guys are always yeah. cooking. Yeah, we always, I mean, look, for every exciting new feature coming out, there's about three boring back-end technical debt projects, right? We made our database more efficient. Um, that's not exciting for a lot of people, but it's, it's good stuff. Um, let's see. Well, we just launched the Vitruve integration. So this is a VBT device um, that uses a tether like the Gemoware, um, but is going to be more accessible from a price perspective than Gemoware. And we're really excited about that. Um, we athlete profiles i'll just stop there because that's a big rabbit hole but right. people have been asking for that's probably one of the most requested features is athlete profiles and we just haven't done it because like we asked this coach what his profile looks like and asked that coach what their profile looks like and we're like how are we ever going to make this work for everyone you know without creating like the longest athlete profile oh, you said you wanted that it's down here on page seven um but athlete profiles we're going to take a stab at it so that's going to be done. And then um, I'm hoping to do some cool stuff where we graph out some VBT data. For instance, I, I want to show, I want to show mean, mean velocity um, at different loads. I want, to, I want an athlete to have a profile based on how fast they move different loads, right? And I think that will help coaches understand, um, you know, kind of get a little bit more out of using VBT and Team Builder together. Yeah, I know that was something that we had talked about and we kind of just uh, finagled it where we would lock in the exercise as 30% of max and uh -huh. so we would go in and that would be the name of the exercise and go through and track it. But the problem yeah. is max goes up unless you're locked in, um, you know, that number. Yeah. Would change. So I think that's definitely an area that, um, you know, that'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that gets applied into the market. And I always appreciate it. You guys, yeah. as you mentioned, you had some boring stuff and you have some fun stuff. Um, yeah. Always impressed me was is that when a feature would be added you'd go mm, i get that or i see what they were thinking we mm -hmm. you know we constantly think about you know the experience of workflow so from the moment that they test at the plate to the moment that they see the data to the moment that it goes into a report and understanding the rack environment is completely different yeah and in post and so owning those domains and, and not getting tech creep where it's like oh it does all these things but none of it really well because as you mentioned you have such a small market space to be able to compete. And if it's not, you know, a holy shit, wow, this is incredible um, type improvement, then, you know, it's probably going to go by the wayside versus a lot of the things uh, yeah. that's added. We couldn't, we couldn't do our job without them. So that, that became really important. Yeah. I mean, this is one of our, I'll just say it, man. It's one of our strengths between James and I, we don't put out features I mean, the payments portal, I can, I don't consider it a failure. It was underutilized. I thought it'd be utilized more. Plenty of people are making a couple hundred extra bucks a month on the payments portal. A couple hundred extra bucks a month goes a long way for a lot of folks. Um, but we do a pretty good job of not launching a feature unless we're pretty sure this is going to bring a lot of utility to the lives of our customers. What's and that process, though, not before, to before you go on to that, what does that process look like? Because again, you say that simplistically, but it is not easy. Oh, oh. That is not easy. James and I will discuss a lot of these features. And as long as we are in touch with our customers, talking to them, 
interacting with them, then we can pretty well use the intuition between ourselves, the two of us, to know what's going to be impactful or not. I think that just comes down to being in touch with your company and being in touch with your customers. Uh, I think being out of touch or being too idealistic, i.e. valuing your vision of your product over your customer's vision for your product, that's where you can get into trouble. And you're taking risks there. And I'm not just not bashing the competition, but like fairly often, Tom, I've like seen my competitors release features and I'm like, I'm like, I get it. It's ambitious. It's, it's idealistic. It's visionary. But I'm just not sure if this is, yeah, I wouldn't do this on our end. You know, I, um, I wouldn't do it. I like hitting triples. I don't like, you know, hitting going one for four with a home run. So as long as we hit triples in the platform and we're delivering things that we know people will use and utilize and it will bring value, um, that's our game plan. That's how we win the, our game is by, by hitting a triple every time we get up to bat. Um, and you get better at it. You know, we're better today at it than we were back then. It's a process. I mean, there's our list of things that we want to do is super long. It would take us years to get through it, but we got to read through it all the time, pull the thing out that we think is next up and then put that in. And that's, that's the way it's going to go. And that'll keep us busy for a couple of years. So at least I know, you know, what I'll be up to. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I think that's great. And I think the, the, the lost start of innovation um, really falls into, yeah, it's a great idea, but nobody's going to pay for it. That's a great idea. Yeah. Nobody's going to pay for it. And I never realized this. And, and if you get a chance, go in and look at the template, you want to tell the story about the template. So we, we didn't know this. Hewitt didn't tell our staff for at least a solid year that you could actually go click template, get a packet and print it out. And there was a couple of circuits and situations where just we couldn't get the iPads out. Um, so we had to do it and we would do it by hand or we type it into Excel. And then he goes, oh, just go download a packet. And we're like, we don't have a packet. And he's like, well, they're templates. And so we open it up and that, and you had said that there was a lot that went into doing that because I mean, how many templates did you guys evaluate before landing on this is what we're going to go with and, uh, you know, launch it and make sure that, you know, enough people were happy that it would stick. How did you go about that? Yeah. Again, James is good uh, at looking at, you know, kind of, he just has a good vision for looking at things. This template that we had, we just couldn't poke enough holes in it to, 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 to know that this wouldn't be liked by everyone. Yes. It's, it's not going to look like what you spent the 20 last years building out, but like, this is this is covering the basis um it's not good enough i mean it's a good template but like you got to compromise at some point you know you can't just take the tampa bay buccaneers template and make everyone use that you kind of have to at some point think about what's important in and of a template in itself and then kind of run with that um that's another thing too is we do a pretty good job of releasing some like pretty minimum minimally viable functionality and not getting too obsessed about perfecting something before, you know, losing the, the big picture. Because uh, when you lose the big picture, um, that can be draining on your resources. You have to really prize your resources. In our case, it's developers or developers' time. Um, the thing that will keep us up at night, James and I, is probably the most is like, are we allocating our resources the most efficiently uh, on the technical side of the platform? That's, that's where we want to make sure we're being efficient because that's kind of the, what spurs the innovation within our product. It sounds like you and James get along really well, but I know any company has their stories and their times. And especially when you, uh, when you're dealing with tough issues, what, what, what system do you have in place to have those tough conversations or say the two of you guys 
butt heads and going from, eh, I don't really care, but I don't agree to absolutely hell no. How do you guys um, handle that? You got, you have to, I say you have to minimize the ego. Um, you have to remember where we are and where we came from. Our, James and I are both in a much better place today than we were when we were just starting Team Builder. We had no customers. We're both grateful for that. And if we can stay grateful for that and minimize the ego, then we can we can relent on things that we don't agree with going forward because we've got it good. We've got a good thing going. We're not going to risk it. We're not going to mess it up because we have a disagreement. And the kind of disagreements that could take the company off the rails would be the big ones like company vision. Are we committed to strength and conditioning? Are we going to raise capital? Are we going to have an in-person office or a remote office? So far, those big decisions have been pretty amicably made. Like we agree on a lot of those things. If you have a difference in vision or what those big rocks, you ought to get those out of the way like early in your business relationship rather than burying it because it probably will poke its head out later on uh, at some point. I love that you said that because so many people will say communicate. You got to communicate effective communication. But I don't know from personal experience and some of the other leaders we had come and speak to us like global leaders, they talked about that alignment. Like it doesn't matter. You can talk to your blue in the face, but if I don't like it, you don't like it. We're just going to, you know, tend to be nice with each other. If you don't address those, they're going to rear their ugly head probably at a time where you're emotionally charged. And then you're going to have some sort of response that maybe you didn't mean or mean to the extent that you react. Yeah. I think that's so critical. Yeah. I said that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, emotions are tough. Um, I just use the, I use the word ego because, and, and not like, uh, not in the traditional sense, but kind of like um, keep things in perspective sense. Um, like things are good. What would you, are you happy with where you are? They don't think about your alternative happiness states, right? This is your happiness. This is what you have. Treasure it, be grateful for it. And then that kind of perspective, I think will kind of make your opinions uh, a little less valuable than, than they should be. And that's probably a good thing in a partnership. What keeps you up at night? Um, not much these days. I've been sleeping like a baby. I'll oh be honest God, with stop you. Stop it. Stop it. Really? <laughs> Rub um, in the face, the Colorado life? I'm sorry, man. I just, I just been sleeping. My wife resents me for it. She had, she like, hasn't been sleeping well. And she like hates that I just like lay my head in the pillow at 10 <laughs> and get up at six. And it's just whatever. Um, no, no, no. There's, there's definitely stuff. I mean, like there are, disciplines within a business that are like less quantitatively objective than others and marketing is one um i like our our marketing person um she does a really good job if you've seen our social media i've had a lot of people tell us that our branding and social media is some of the best of the vendors in our space but i think about as our company grows i i'm gonna have to try to grow that arm of the company the marketing arm and marketing kind of scares me a little bit. Um, for one, like I don't totally understand it. Uh, I'm like pretty disciplined in it, um, but it's just one of those things where it doesn't have as much objectivity as like customer support and sales. Cause like you either solve the problem or you don't, or you hit the sales number or you don't like marketing is different. So now that like, we're gonna be growing our entry level departments into like middle management departments, marketing and and some of these other aspects of growth kind of scare me a little bit too because like we have 12 employees now that's most we ever had i think about if we had 24 employees like doubled in size like 
I get a little bit nervous. I'm like, that's a lot of people to manage. Like I had to learn how to manage 12 people. That was like hard for me to begin with. Like, how can I do double? So growth is good. Growth is also scary, I guess is what I'll say. Like, I don't look forward to um, managing twice the number of people I manage now. Like whether that will happen or not, I don't know. But like, it, it's that learning to be a different kind of manager is a, a it's kind of a, it's a, a challenge, a challenging sort of growth, I think. What do you do to keep the blade sharp? So you reading books or from a mentor standpoint, or how are you preparing for that? Because again, you don't typically sit around. So if you're already thinking about 24 employees, that could be uh-huh. two years out and you're already going to start thinking about it. What, what do you do to kind of prepare yeah. yourself and develop? Well, the age of the internet is uh, just a blessing in that there's a lot of people who write about their experiences. And I think the hard part is kind of filtering who is who to listen to, who to not. There's a lot of people who you know, will not be a good boss. And then they'll, you know, act as if they're a thought leader on management. Like, so I have a mentor, uh, James and I both have the same mentor. We've never had a mentor in our business and he's done a lot for us on that front. He's just a successful manager, a really good people person, really good with relationships. So we rely on him for that. And um, I tend to stay pretty open-minded about uh, my management style. And um, I tend to read about it. There's you know, people that write books, of course, there's also people on Quora, you know, that's a website where they share a lot of valuable knowledge. And I tend to kind of read a lot, a lot from those leaders. And again, if you find a good one, stick with them, follow them on Twitter or whatever, and kind of, you know, adhere, subscribe to the, to the people who have brought you some, some uh, success. And that's, that's an important part of it too. Oh, that's awesome. Well, if uh, people want to get a hold of you, if they haven't tried it or they want to get a demo, what is the best way for them to reach out to you to be able to connect? Yeah, I like connecting personally. So it's possible I might bunt someone down to a salesperson to do the demo, but I also I, I like to just connect, you know, first just to kind of have a relationship. So my email is my first name, Hewitt, Hewitt at teambuilder.com. Just hit me with an email. And if you're an Instagram person, um, you know, you can hit me on Instagram. You'd be surprised how many coaches hit me on social media first before sending me an email. And I like it because I get to look at your profile and see what you're about and get to know you a little bit. So hit me on Instagram or send me an email. And uh, even if you don't want to do a demo, if you just want to connect with me, like my, I feel like my job and purpose at Team Builder is just to, to just connect with train coaches. That's, that's what I like to do. So if you coach and you want to hit me up, do it. I'm down. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll have to have you back on after some more of these updates here in a few months. But again, thank you so much. Learned a lot. Uh, and again, too, I was excited to kind of get to take a little little uh, step back and kind of look at Team Builder as a whole and kind of what you've built and obviously used it, still use it. And uh, I'm excited to see as you guys continue to grow that um, you know, what it will become because it's certainly awesome right now. So thank you so much. If you guys are listening and any more questions, feel free to reach out to us directly in the link in the description. Um, and as always, you can reach out to us directly on the website. So thank you, Hewitt, and I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it.